Welcome to Snakes and Ladders, an honest podcast about career ups and downs and the tips and tricks we've picked up along the way. You're hosted today by two London-based execs, myself, Pete Conroy, and you, Julian Armstrong. Big fella. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, who are we? In our intro last week, we explained why we were doing this, but now, with a little bit of a shield of anonymity covering some of our personal information, we want to explain who we are and help you understand the way we think. And later, we're going to have a little fun with a segment we like to call Boss or Toss. We will be discussing mantras and if they're worth living by. But first, Mr. Julian Neil Armstrong, Cosmo, was it Cosmo, Cosmonaut, there you go, Cosmonaut <laughs> of the Moon and Stars. That was that was a clunky one this week. How are you? I'm well, mate. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. It's, uh, it's getting cold here, man. It is. I turned 38. Yeah, last week. I know. And uh, at, at my birthday dinner, mate, you, were you one of the people that said, was this the big four? I wasn't, but I uh, did jump on that bandwagon. You bastard. <laughs> so I'm feeling a little bit older. Um, you don't look a day over 36. <laughs> um, I don't think it's been one of those birthdays where I've had like a, a ment- mental, you know, meltdown. breakdown. Do you ever have meltdowns about getting older? Um, I had one when I was 27. I had one. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm nearly 30. Um, I'm not in early 20s. I'm not in mid 20s. Yeah, actually, I think I had a similar one around that time as well. Maybe 29. Yeah. Yeah. But since then, I've not really had them. But yeah, man, I'm getting close to 40s, which is, which is just gutting. <laughs> I think nothing wrong with 40. Like, I think when I, I, we say this now, but we'll get to close to 50 and then I'll be like, ah, 50's fine. 60's where you start to. Well, we won't talk about how bad my back's been lately, so. Yeah, but you've had a bad back since you're in your 20s, so. No, no, no. This has been ridiculous. <laughs> oh, this is like cold weather bad back. Yeah. Anyway, how about you, man? How's your week been? Yep. Again, I think we say, we've said this every week, the last couple of weeks, so it's end of the year, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I. Uh, it's been a busy week, but a good week for me, and yeah. uh yeah, I'm. I'm still. I think we talked about this maybe on one of our other episodes about my brain still kind of being in Australia mode of mm. like it's the end of the year. I'm clocking off, mm. um, and there is a bit of that to some degree. Like the Brits do, kind of take a bit of a lull over Christmas, but it's not like down under. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Christmas parties are coming up, and that's one of our future topics. Epi- episodes topics. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff in the news about AI. We're going to be talking about that soon as well. Yeah. Um, but today, yeah, we're going to give a bit more of an insight into who we are as best as possible because I think, as we mentioned previously, um, we're going to be very raw with a lot of the discussions we have, so we are using pseudonyms. We do not want to be sued. <laughs> <laughs> Fired or be, sued. Yeah, final sued, so, you know. But yeah, we're going to get under, under the skin. I think the key to this, this episode is trying to get our listeners to understand the way that we think. Um why we are the way we are, how that's helped or hindered us in our careers. Um, and hopefully it resonates w- with people or, or yep. it helps to kind of understand some of the lessons or contextualize some of the lessons that we're, we're trying to provide. Yep, for sure. Cool, man. Cool. So continuing our intro episode last week, um, we're going to tell you a bit more about us and how we got here. 
Yeah, so just to break the fourth wall, like we've started recording other episodes and we thought it was really important once we sort of rev- revised the first intro that we give you a bit more of a background on us and who we are. Yeah. So Far away, mate. Well, I mean, where did it all start? You know? <laughs> <laughs> what did you, I think we talked about this like in, in our last intro, but like growing up, what did you want to be? Um, I wanted to be a professional sportsman. Yeah. Um, I wanted to play rugby, <clears throat> wanted to play rugby for Australia. You want to go the whole way? Yeah, my dad was like a, a prolific sportsman as well before it was a, a professional endeavor, but he did get, you know, he got paid to play rugby league and rugby union. He played overseas. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so I, I was always trying to aspire to that kind of level. Um, I wasn't particularly like I, I maybe wanted to be an artist as well. I yeah, wasn't I remember particularly. You did that. Yeah. Did you feel the pressure as a child to like follow in some sort of like footsteps of, of or was that a self-imposed no. thing? Or? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know me, I'm massively competitive, yep. um, which I've tempered over my career, yep. but I use it to my advantage a lot. Yep. Um, so when someone says, oh, we've tried that before in a professional sense, I don't say this to them, but inside I'm like, fuck yeah, you've tried it and failed, but I'm going to do this, yep. make it happen. Yep. <coughs> rub your face in it when it's done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of take that, that sporting... Um, drive and apply it to a professional sense. And it, my, my sporting career was cut short f- um, in a number of different ways. So, like, I was injured a hell of a lot, like, with massive injuries. I had knee reconstruction, shoulder reconstruction, fractured spine, like... I think you interviewed me with a broken nose. <laughs> yeah, when I first, yeah. That one I had a broken nose, eye socket and cheekbone. Oh, it didn't look that bad. It was just, you were just wearing a... <laughs> well, you saw me after story. I had my face reconstructed. That's right, yeah. Yeah. But... Um, you used to look completely different, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I had that. I had family stuff that cut it short. So, I, I always, I've always had, like, this um, this unresolved kind of competitiveness, this, yeah. like, this thing where I've not achieved what, what I wanted to achieve in a in a sporting sense and I've I've naturally channeled that into other parts of my life. Um but in in terms of an academic perspective, you know, I'm a structural engineer. I I hated university. I hated yeah, so school. I. Oh, um, I, see, I like school. I hated uni though. Yeah, I I worked out after both of those kind of phases of my life that I didn't learn effectively in the ways that I was being taught, yeah. you know. So like <clears throat> I've got a phenomenal memory, but it's a visual memory. And it's not like, you know, just um, being spoken at. I don't I don't um, retain information when someone's just speaking at me or talking to me. I've got to see it. I've got to... Engage with it. Yeah. And I was always good at maths um, because there was, you know, A plus B equals C sort of scenarios. There's always a known answer. Yeah. You hated English? I know I enjoyed English, but I really struggled with the subjectivity of it. Um, And I probably still struggle with some of that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed knowing that there is a definitive answer to things. But where I struggled was not understanding why. So in certain phases in my life with like physics and maths and whatever, I could see a formula. But if I didn't understand why that formula 
was there, I'd kind of like painstakingly try and understand yeah. why yeah. throughout it. You rather couldn't, than you couldn't write learn. No. So I find it really interesting because you say that you find English the subjectivity of it, but my understanding as an adult now, because I was the same in high school, I fucking hated English. Mm. And now as an adult, I have a new understanding of English isn't necessarily about there being a right answer. It's about you being able to justify your answer. Yeah. And I think like when I hear you talk about the way you make business cases, for example, or the way that you quantify your decisions in, in work, you're actually really good at kind of laying out your argument or your case for why something is worthwhile. Yeah, uh, but I think as well, like, that is still subjective. You're still putting a business case, like a case to someone who, if they don't interpret it or understand it the same way, you're going to struggle. So I have had situations where I've had to go back once or twice or three times on a a pitch. Mm. I've not got it right the first time. Uh, Over over my kind of career, I've gotten better and better at getting it right the first time. But, Mm. yeah, the subjectivity of, like, people's interpretation of what you're you're saying is 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 a struggle i think yeah i think we're doing a future episode on communication yeah and how you can kind of like focus people's attention where it needs to go yeah it's like when someone writes your text message yeah there's no emotion in the text message you could completely misinterpret it yeah so when like when text messaging first sort of started come out I can guarantee I had arguments with people where I'd like call them and go, what did you mean by that? That was, that was rude. Rude, Like, Oh no, I didn't mean it that way. I still have this issue. I don't know if you noticed, but like, and this is a total sidebar, but like there is a, a serious difference between the way millennials text and the way that boomers text, because we have adapted a nuanced form of language through text. Yeah. Because like, and emojis and stuff, right? Not even just emojis, but like, say if I sent you a text message and I said, okay, smiley face, okay. Or K just Mm. the letter K, they all mean different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas like the amount of times that my parents have replied back with just an, okay. And if that was you who'd sent it to me, I'd be like, Oh, yeah, yeah. short yeah but if it's my parents i have to remember like oh they're old yeah they're just writing it as it literally is said yeah for sure but yeah i think the interesting thing although it's like gimmicky em- emojis put um emotion back into text message yeah text messages which is important yeah. um so yeah um so that's kind of me like I, I i did an engineering degree while i was doing my sport and stuff like that i um Started a personal training business, um, which I ran for a number of years. Uh, that probably changed the way that I had self-confidence. Yeah. There was like a distinct time that changed the way that I communicated and and carried myself yep. <clears throat> at that time. So I was training a guy. Um, he had three free sessions with me and I had to convert him to a full-time client. This mm-hmm. guy was an ex-Olympian. Uh, like rower, probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. Like he was six foot four. He was doing squats on a Swiss ball whilst doing shoulder press. Yeah, crazy. Um, and he'd not been in the sport for like a number of years, but he's just the the most powerful um, but well-balanced athlete I've ever seen. Yeah. So it was really cool training. I, I could do all these crazy moves with him and try and get him, like really push him, yeah. which was awesome. And at the end of the three sessions, um, I was sort of getting ready to sort of pitch to him and he cut across me and said, all right, mate, sell me. Why the hell would I want to pay for this stuff? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, you know, whoa, like, um, and being confronted with that kind of a conversation 
made me realize like how much I need to not just bank on skills or or technical ability it's like the communication and the way that you like project yourself yep gave me a lot more confidence because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an introvert mm-hmm. um and yeah so like there was that was probably one of the kind of turning points in my career like that's helped me in the future mm-hmm. I hate presenting um I hate being on stage I hate talking to people but yeah. there's been turning points in my career as well where I've had to present to 2,000 people um, absolutely shitting myself. Yeah. And, you know, my wife's an actress and she's taught me a hell of a lot yeah. on that front, yeah. which has been massively powerful. So, yeah, that's kind of like a bit of a background. Can what I ask you? Well, before before we jump to me, mm. uh, I think uh, something that's important to touch on is like, I think we've talked about like neurodiversity a little bit between the two of us. Have you, do you subscribe to the fact that you might be neurodiverse in any way? Um, yeah, I mean, I was tested as a, as a kid, like I've got, um, I've, I've got, um, a high IQ and I think at a very rapid rate, but the way HD style sort of thing. No. So like there's, there's a, there's a difference between the speed that I generate thoughts and the way that I can transfer them into tangible like sentences. I think my husband's got the same thing. To be it's honest. a it's like a form of dyslexia, basically. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I'm really quick at generating a response, but then, like when I'm tired, how I get that information out is even worse. It's like muddled. It, yeah. So when I was tested at school, like when I was doing standardized tests. I'd probably know all the answers, but how I could actually describe them or yeah. whatever would take a lot longer. Yep. So there's a bit of that, but I, I personally think everyone's got neurodiversity, yeah, to a degree. You know, I think that's key. Is like there's it's not necessarily neuro, neurodiversity, which could be a handicap. It's allowing yourself to get to know your strengths and weaknesses in that sense. Like mm. I'm a hundred percent ADHD without a doubt. Mm. And in the last sort of 12 months, I've made a concerted effort to get to know myself mm. and be honest with myself as well. I think like we're kind of taught that like the same with school and university, there's a way to learn, right? Mm. They're like, this is how you learn. So everyone learns. And mm. if you're not good at it, you're just dumb. Yeah. You and don't fit in the box. You don't yeah. fit in the box. And mm. now that I'm like, oh, fuck that. Like I'm, I have strengths and weaknesses in different yeah, ways. Yeah. I yeah. now cater to my needs. Mm. And that's been a very freeing experience yeah i think uh, we definitely need to do a discussion around like school systems and the yeah. way of learning because it you know now it's it's what you do you're an expert in that field now yeah, which is I do. pretty yeah. amazing um but uh, yeah i always thought that school systems education systems they're, they're trying to produce um stock standard stuff for the shelf and oh, if, if you they, they if want to produce a, hamsters to get on the hamster wheel that's it's a i kind of think thing. of it like fruit like if you're an apple that doesn't look the same as every other apple you're not going on yeah, the, the you know the fruit rack yeah um but it doesn't mean you're not an apple you know what i mean like, like i'm gonna be a strudel <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah but um we'll get into sort of some more mindset discussions in a sec but what about your what about your background um i was one of those kids who had like when i think i was younger uh, i, I might have touched on this previously but like i was going to be something different every week and yeah. until I really got to like the meat and bones of high school, 
in my head, I was just saying I wanted to be whatever I thought people would think would be impressive. Mm. So for me, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Mm. I'm going to earn lots of money and people are going to respect the shit out of me. (laughs) And then I wanted to be fucking something else and something else. And in the end, I think I kind of fell into this path, but it worked out fortuitously for me. So I got to like, I don't know, like year 10. And I was lucky enough to go to a school that had engineering studies. And I kind of got pushed into it, but I was good at math and science. And Mm. engineering studies is basically math and science. Mm. So I did that. And then it was kind of... Once you go into one of those kind of niche topics at school, they kind of funnel you into like studying that at university. Mm. So I was doing engineering studies with like nine other guys in Mm. my year. And by the time we got to the HSC, there were two of us. Right. That says a lot about the teacher. But yeah, he was crazy. (laughs) But we basically, and then it kind of fell from there. I was good at chemistry. So I was like, cool, chemical engineering. Couldn't do that because the University of Wollongong didn't offer that. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, cool, I'm going to go do materials. And then yeah. did that, got a cadetship, got a, and then realized didn't like that very much. So mine's kind of been a bit of a trial and error. Like I really, you know, I went through, like I grew up being heavily involved in music mm-hmm. and performing. So like all through primary school, high school, a lot of um, performing arts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was also one of those kids that was just involved in everything. So mm. like it was performing arts, I was doing sports, so I played soccer, I was a state swimmer, I played rugby. Mm. So by the time I got to the end of high school, I was actually like a little bit burnt out. Mm. Um, so it kind of took me to get through, struggle through university, get into the working force for a bit to realize like, oh shit, this isn't what I want to do with my life. Yeah. Um, and then it was kind of like, I kind of had a come to Jesus moment. Like I got to, I, I was lucky enough that the role that I took after university through my uh, sort of scholarship and cadetship kind of moved me around the country a lot. Yeah. And it kind of faced me with the culture. So I'm gay, full disclosure. Mm. And I think I, I lived in sort of cities like Perth and Adelaide. Loved Perth, got to Adelaide. It was very lonely. Um, and it mm. really, that isolation, working a job I didn't like, living in a city I didn't like, forced me to sit down and go, well, what do I want to do with my life? When did you come out as gay? Um, so it's kind of going down a rabbit hole, yeah. in that, but it's just interesting as episode. part of the whole, like, you know, I, that journey. I think for me, so I came out, I don't think I've ever asked you that question. No, I don't actually. think you have either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came out to my best mate when I was 17, I was like right at the tail end of high school mm. and, um, I kind of got pushed out of the closet by my mum a little oh. bit. So that wasn't ideal. Mm. Um, but it happened the way it happened. And ironically, like, I think my mum found out and mm. then that, that was a, that was a, a, a stressful point in time. That was right at the end of high school. Actually, this happened two days before my HSC chemistry exam. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was like a very stressful time. Mm. And, um, she was like, well, you have to tell your father. So I told dad and it was a very like, that was a stressful, I mean, there's a whole story to it, but mm. I, I told dad and dad was like, yeah, I've known since you were like two years old. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> calm down. Yeah. But that was yeah. kind of it. And then, yeah, that was. So the, like the thing is you've, you've come out and then you're going into quite like traditional male dominated yeah, industries. Like industries. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, once I was out, I didn't feel interested particularly in not being honest about who I was. Mm. So a university, I was gay. Mm. My first job, I was gay. Like that was it. And mm. my first job was working in like foundries, which is mm. about as fucking hard yakker as it comes. Mm. And to be honest with you, like going to university in a regional area, I actually found that it was most of the kids from the country that were the more like, oh, 
that's cool. Like mm. they didn't particularly care. They were really, yeah, which I thought was interesting too. Like I felt like the kids from the country were more open-minded in a, like they were just happy to, as long as you're a nice person, mm. which I was, was really refreshing. Uh, mm. And a lot of my friends through university were from like regional New South Wales. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I mean, I did, I think my, I faced my first sort of like bout of homophobia when I was in Adelaide mm. and it was the guy who ran the foundry I was working at in Adelaide. Mm. And this was part of my whole like shit, what do I want to do with my life? Cause, mm. um, he'd put me on a, he basically given me a, like a project to work on where we had started to look at the option of having robots to mm. like grind down the casts, cast iron goods to size. Yep. And we had this big robot that I, you basically push a button to set it up and then it would take seven hours to grind away at this thing and you just watch it. Mm. We just literally go over it, over it, over it. Mm. And he goes, right, well, your project is to just watch it. Watch it. <laughs> and so every night I'd work sort of evening shift, which would be from 2 p.m. till 11 p.m. at night. Mm. And I would just sit down and watch this thing. And I was like, I didn't fucking go to five years of university to sit here and... Mm. I was reading books and whatever, but it was like, it was, it was just like the most unstimulating thing ever. Yeah. And after doing that for six months, I kind of like kicked up about it and was like, this is not what I came to do. Mm. And he basically turned around and said something along the lines of like, oh, your kind will never be happy unless you're fucking something, something, something. I don't mm. remember. It was so long ago now. I mm. actually remember recording it and I was like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. And nothing to be done about it really. Like he was institutional. So he'd been there for 30 years. It was like, out of mm. my hands and so I just kind of quit on a whim mm. and that's the first time I'd been like unemployed without a plan moved to Melbourne I think that's an interesting thing to touch on like I think but both of us have probably hit though your your experience there is more kind of um not extreme but like um I can't think of a different word but like it's a you know compared to mine there's there's certain stages where you go I didn't really sign up for this. Yeah. So like my early in my career, my family's in like property and construction. So I've been around that, you know, since I was young. So I've always had an interest in sort of going down that path anyway, if it wasn't for the kind of sporting element. But um, yeah, when I first got into like a sort of pseudo graduate program, just doing fucking spreadsheets, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah. And there's been other times in my career where I've just gone, like, I am not doing the same shit for the next 50 years. Like, I'm not having the same conversations, having the same arguments, doing the same thing. What's the what's the way to get out of here? Like, what's the, not necessarily the company, but, like, how do I stop do I doing this shit? Yeah. Like, it's so interesting because, like, we, we, like, the millennial experience, it's, like, it's so interesting being, like, like from a prolific generation, like being the millennials. Cause it's mm. like all through my young career, it was millennials versus boomers. It was us in an environment created by a generation that, you know, served differently to the way that we do. Mm. And then watching Gen Z come up and be so critical of us. I'm mm. like, when we came into the workforce, 
our age group, like it was not geared to our benefit at all mm. in the slightest, you know, and that was it, right? You turn up to work and you're kind of told this narrative of like, well, you kids just need to shut up and suck it up sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. you got to work through the kind of the bullshit to the get chain. To, yeah. You know? So you're going to be doing this job for five years and the next one for five years and the next one, and the next one, just like everyone who came before you. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing is like, it wasn't incentivized by the, like the sheer, sort of financial kind of benefits that the generation above us had. Like I was made redundant three times before the age of 25. Like oh, I yeah. experienced redundancy three times and I know most boomers who've, you know, they got their first redundancy after working at a company for 30 years and mm. a huge payout. Mm. And that was so traumatic. Like I watched my dad get made redundant from Qantas mm. and I remember how turbulent that period of his career was. And I'm mm. like, that happened to me three times before I'd even got off the ground with a career. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, and also the job, the job finding pro like hunting process, like, you know, we would, you'd be up against 20 other people and you've all got like degree, like full degrees or master's qualifications. Mm. And then you start a job, you get paid peanuts and you're fucking doing spreadsheets. Mm. And it was such an interesting, like letdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never been through that myself. So I can't, I can't imagine the kind of fear and confusion that kind of comes with it. Um, it leaves a lasting mark. Like even now, and I'm well and truly into my 30s at this point, mm. like the, you get a, a whiff of things being a little touchy. And like in this current economic climate, I have no sense of, I have no authentic sense of security. Like, mm. you know, whereas most, I think other people who are older are like, I won't be made redundant. This company needs me like blah, 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 blah. Mm. Like, and in my head, I'm like, everyone is expendable. Mm. You know what I mean? That's my attitude. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting dynamic because I'm from the other side of the fence. I've never been made redundant. I do have that kind of attitude where I know I'm not expendable, but it's a sort of self-imposed confidence and attitude thing. I know, you know, if if my boss wanted to get rid of me, they could, but yeah. I also just have this confidence where I'm like, well, why would they do that? They'd be fucked yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but that's just a confidence thing, and it means that I can kind of glaze over the the fear of that you know i mean i mean if you've never touched a hot stove why would you be afraid of fire do you know mm. what i mean yeah and it's one of those things where like you are in a position where you do have that kind of like well it wouldn't make sense but then sometimes it fucking happens even when it doesn't make sense yeah because i'm naively trusting in the intelligence of people that make the decisions when most of them are not smart exactly. at all yeah and and i've been on the other side of the table so i've made a hell of a lot of people redundant yeah, but you're an intelligent, thoughtful person. <laughs> well, it's a, in some instances, it's like the right thing to do. In others, it's an imposed requirement because, you know, like the business is struggling and whatever. And I've always had, um, I've always kind of battled over those decisions as to whether they're the right ones or not and taken my time to get, to make sure that they're right as best as possible. Um, but yeah, so why the construction industry then? I think, well, working in foundries, I, like, I, I'm very much the kind of person where I have a really tough time like letting go of things like my time and effort. Hmm. And so I did this degree, which I was kind of pushed into by my parents, if I'm honest. So hmm. I did engineering at school and then I started, I started materials engineering at university and like within the first six months, I was like, I hate this. Hmm. 
my parents were like, give it a chance, you know, give it a, give it a year, see if you like it. I got two years in and I was like, I fucking still hate this. Mm. And then my parents were like, well, you're halfway, you may as well finish it now. And I was like, <laughs> oh. And yeah. at every moment of that degree, I was like, this is shit. I hate this. But I mm. got through it. Mm. And then I was like, well, I'm going to take a job that a, I'm going to, I'm going to get paid well f- as like my comeuppance for like fucking dragging myself through this degree. Mm. And so having an engineering degree, working in foundries as a materials engineer, mm. but then getting to Adelaide and being like, I'm sick of living in fucking the Pilbara and far North Queensland and, yeah. you know, the great Australian basin. I want to be where the gays are. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to not be lonely. And I, I always think that like, if you were to look at like engineering as a industry, hmm. I actually think construction is one of the more glamorous. Like hmm. it doesn't seem like it from an outsider, like obviously being a, hmm. you know, an architect or a design or whatever. But like in my mind, I'm like, I think construction is fairly glamorous as a, as a comparison to its, you know, cohort of other industries. So like, hmm. you know, manufacturing and all those other things. Like, But everyone in, in the construction property, real estate engineering industries everyone thinks the same it's so we urban all, we all come from the same background though so like if you're a lawyer engineer architect whatever you you are your structured learning is the same yeah you know you, you you see a problem there's an answer to the problem you think because you are the smartest people in the room which undoubtedly most of the time you are uh, yeah that your answer is the only answer, which is why like these industries have not innovated for fucking decades. Yeah. Centuries. Yeah. Like, I so think it's a we it's a quite a weird industry to work in, particularly considering your background particular skills and talents. Yeah. So put it in context, like um so I interviewed well, so I, I one of the first roles where I beca- where I became a manager that I I um advertised for Pete applied for um, and I got sent this this CV, and the CV was just a one-page uh, train map. Yeah, the train map. And on the train map, there were like these little um, stops, and each stop was like either a, a role or a skill or an education with, you know, different lines and all that sort of stuff, really colourful. And so I got handed this, this CV, this resume by um, the HR rep, and she's like, oh, I've spoken to this guy. I think you should meet with him. I looked at it for like 15, 20 minutes and I was like, just fucking hire the guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, no, I can't do that. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, oh, we'll get him in. But like, honestly. So I had the job before I got in. Basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. There um, you go. Because it was just a, like an, a novel, you know, creative, creative. approach. Yeah. You, you had the technical skills anyway, but obviously a creative sort of mentality or mechanism which in in this industry is rare is rare but i think those skills have probably been a, a very large reason as to how you've developed your career in a fairly rapid way i think they've also allowed me to be really agile in the way i've developed my career so mm. like i've kind of yeah as i've zip zap zopped my way up into different spaces yeah but you know how people say like oh uh, you know uh, we're gonna we're gonna work on your weaknesses we're gonna you know, identify what those are and really work on them. I think that that has a time and a place, but when it comes to rapid career um, progression, you just slam on that button. That just like you're fuck gonna, off the weaknesses and yeah. absolutely lean into the strengths. Yeah. So if we were going to say, oh, you know, you know, Pete's got all these like 
these creative skills, there is strengths, but actually we need to work on all these other weaknesses. You, like we're completely by, you know, bypassing all those strengths. We would have taken about 50 times longer to get to where you are now, I think. I think also like there's a, a hundred other people there that can do the technical stuff. How many yeah. people can, you know, communicate creatively through, you know, train yeah. maps? Yeah. So we, we've, we've forecast to have a, a, a big session on like, visual communication and and all that sort of stuff which yeah. I'm quite excited because that's your that's your bag. Yeah. But it's interesting that you've lent into skills that don't really exist that much in this industry. I think that I mean it speaks honestly to do something you're passionate about and be creative about the way you do it as well. Mm. Like construction can be really dry. Like mm. It really can. And like, I think that's why it pays so well is because there has to be some sort of incentive to do some of the work that people do. Mm -hmm. Like it's high stakes. It's like long hours and it's really, it's very abrasive. It's an abrasive industry yeah. and you see it wear people down, you know, mm -hmm. and those who manage to survive become really hardened as well. Mm. And I think if you can find a way to, I mean, if you're doing something you like doing, you'll shine. Yeah, that's how I feel. So exactly. So people say things like, as well, um, do what you love for a living, and you never worked a day in your life. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a. I think I, that's that's a mantra bag that we need to talk about. Yeah, later. for sure. Um, I love the idea of that, but I think it's com it's very unrealistic unless you're going to be a fucking poor artist and struggle for the rest of your life. Um, it depends what your aspirations are out of life. But okay, like there's two scenarios. You want to save the whales, you go and work for Greenpeace, you make no fucking money uh, and you protest and throw spears at fucking, you know, boats boats and stuff. Or you you become Bill Gates and buy all the fucking ships. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. it, there's two different ways of doing it. Yeah. I prefer to be Bill Gates, have earned a shitload of money, use that money for good rather than really struggle away. It's, you know. it's interesting. I've talked to people about this because I was, I've, I've always been interested in trying my hand at politics. I can love politics, man. Like mm. I, I could, if, if when someone's politically engaged, I can have a fucking two hour conversation about what's going on in the world. Cause I think that it's, it's so interesting to me that it's the conversions of like someone's personal immediate skills and their ability to represent a huge group of people and how they the two things kind of interact and it's such an interesting thing to me i would love love to be a politician however yeah. i don't think i have what it's what it takes to sell my soul to get in you have to kind of go through a ring of fire mm. and so that whole bill gates argument i wonder if you know the save the whales thing mm. A lot of people I don't think have the skin to go through the ring of fire and come out the other side with their yeah. ethics and morals intact. Like we literally were talking about Rupert Murdoch before mm. and I was saying how like in his early days you can see what his drivers are and at some point he loses those and gets kind of like hooked on everything else that comes with being, you know, a, a bounty hunter basically. Mm. And I can't help but wonder like, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it takes a special kind of person to get there and still want that to be the core reason mm. for their being. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So what about resilience? In what sense? Well, I think 
uh, one of the big things we're going to talk about, it'll be a thread throughout this whole like, podcast, undoubtedly, is um, my, my attitude is that one of the biggest keys to success and progression and, and um, being able to navigate a corporate career um, is being resilient. So you were yes. talking before about just the fact that you've been made redundant. Yeah. Um, is that hardened you, or I mean, there's a certain element you said you know there's a, a bit of an underlying fear, but has it is that does that drive you? Is it hardened you, or has it made you more kind of wary? I think it's a uh, it's motivating in the sense that like it forces you to be a bit. Some people might become scrappier. I just work harder, mm. um, and it's, I think it's it, it's definitely like taking the naivety away. Like in my mind. I think you just become more hyper acutely aware of like what is required to sort of protect yourself from those sorts of things. Mm. So in terms of resilience, like, yes, like in a way, I think there are other things that I've experienced in life that have made me more resilient. Like I think like at, our, at my last role before here mm. and you sort of were across this because you'd already moved mm. at this point, but my boss um, mm. being a piece of shit to me, mm. the one that basically took over after you left mm. And having experienced that, having experienced the boss that I had in Adelaide, mm. which I didn't handle well, like that pushed me to the point of like, I can't do this. I'm leaving. Mm. And I left without another job to go to mm. this time around. I had to learn to kind of go to ground and just like be smart stick about it, it and yeah. stick it out. And mm. I wouldn't have been able to cope with that if I hadn't have gone through what I went through in Adelaide. Mm. And I do think as well, it's actually taught me for this role. I mean, now there's been some moments where I've been put into workplace scenarios mm. where it's been really unfavorable towards me mm. and I've fared even better. Like mm. I haven't had a meltdown. I've been like, okay, I'm going to focus on the work mm. and I'm going to focus my energy on what's productive here Yeah, and kind of like weather the storm. And it's worked really well in my favor this time. So yeah. yes, probably yes. Yeah. I mean, you're an incredibly reflective person, mm. which I think is um, a, a really admirable thing. So like you'll, when we first started working together, I think you were probably a bit more reactive. Yep. Now, when something happens, you, you'll sort of stop and go, okay, interesting. Yeah. I'm going to take that away, think about think it, about talk it. to some people, come back. Yep. Which is great. Yeah. Um, but it's good because it's good I think the, the resilience thing can be found in different mechanisms, different ways. Like the way that you started to build it has taken time, mm. but... Um, it's serving you now, so you're standing on your own two feet a lot more, which is brilliant. Yep, yep. Um, and and driving your own identity as a leader, yep. which is incredibly important. Uh, and people also like when, when they're following leaders, want to know that they've got some scars and stuff. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's it, it'd be like working for a company where the son or daughter just takes over yeah. and, and they've just never done any the nepotism. Yeah. Yeah. They've never done any of the work. You know, do, do you want to follow that person in the battle? No. Do you want to follow them during COVID where yeah. people have to get stood down? Do you want to like, do you know what I mean? Like go through a recession with them? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. No, I agree. So it's a, like having people who've gone through some shit mm-hmm. is important. Yeah. Um, I, I think my, my my kind of journey's been different in that like the the setbacks from sport taught me a hell of a lot in terms of resilience. Yeah. But I am fortunate enough to have like the best parents ever yeah. uh, in terms of role models. Like my my dad's an immigrant, worked 
three jobs to support his parents who didn't speak any English. Yeah. Um, became incredibly successful. I think he had his first Ferrari when he was like 27. Nice. Um, but then, so when I, when I was like finishing school and like he was saying, mate, what do you want to do f- when you grow up? Like, what do you want to do for a career? Let you leave sport aside because that might work out. You need a career. You need something. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I, I want to take over the family business. And I remember the, the conversation. He was like, nah, no like, chance. fuck off. Go learn how the world works. Come back. You can have it, but you got to earn it. Mm. So, I mean, I'm super lucky that that conversation happened. Yeah, otherwise yeah. your life would turn out really differently. Yeah. It's not that he doesn't want me to do that. No, like, yeah. he would love for me to get into the family game at, at certain point and take it over. But he also wants to know that I know. Straps. Yeah, like I know how it works, like yeah. that I've got a work ethic that I'll, you know, that he'll be proud of handing it off. Um, also, like that's setting you up for success because you have to work with people in the industry mm. and you make it infinitely harder for yourself when you don't have that respect. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when you come in, you know, dick swinging and people are just like, yeah, mate, go away. And as well, like, you know, in those family business scenarios you can be protected from the internal politics you can be protected from that like the friction between people and learning that throughout my career has been incredibly important you know navigating blockers decision makers you know frankly understanding that this is something this this is a brutal thing that I say but now you get an insight into the way that I think (laughs) There are a lot of fucking thick people that live on this earth. Yeah. Um, and they've got high positions or low positions, positions of influence. They've just gotten there because they've stuck it out. Some of them have just hidden and then, you know, ended up being handed an opportunity. And you've got to get around some of those people who are literally thick as shit. Yeah. Um, and literally get around them. like Yeah. And there's no no way around it. Yeah. When, when you're... When you're ambitious, and we're going to have a full fucking hour on ambition because yeah. ambition's a big thing. But when you're ambitious and, and capable, that can be threatening to those people. So you've got to work out how to like not threaten them if they've got a, a position of power over you and get around them and all that sort of stuff. Like The internal politics is, is a big thing, unfortunately. So early in my career, I just thought, well, I'm going to get where I'm going to get to because of my merits, because I work hard, because I'm good at what I do. Mm. And that doesn't happen, no. you know. Um, and you learn that lesson and you're like, oh, I've got to play the game. Yeah, and my mum used to say it to me when I was at school. And I was like, why? Fuck that. That's a that's a girl's thing. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not though. But any And you put any gender in a, like, you, you, you do a concentrated group of one gender. It's always the way. Yeah. But I always thought that. And I was like, oh, that's a girl's thing. Like, yeah. guys, you know, we, we don't bitch about each other. We, if we don't like you, we'll just say it to your face sort of thing. Like but it's not true. No. And it's also like we've both moved to the UK. And it's different here. Different cultures again. Totally different again. You know, like the Brits, if, if, a, if you're standing in front of a, a Brit and saying, you know, we're going to do something like this and they're nodding their head, it could be that they're just nodding their head and they're about to rubbish you when you walk out the room and Literally. say, well, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Or not even say it, just think it. Yeah. And you don't even have a point of reference. Like, yeah, they'll just be obtuse about it and so, you won't realise why your plan is not getting off the ground because people just aren't p- putting it into action. Yeah. So the, the, like, there's been a lot of kind of moments in my life where I've learned that, which I think has has been powerful. If I'd gone into the family business, I wouldn't have. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the resilience thing I think is enormous. Yeah. There's been 
setbacks that we both had in different on different sides of the fence. Um, harsh realizations, I think, throughout the career, where you think, "Oh, this person's got my back," or oh, yeah. "I've done this amazing work, and yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be something like a legacy that I leave." Yeah. Legacy to me is is massively important. I'll come back to that in a sec, but. It's going to be something that I, I can look back on and be proud of, and then only to know, only to realize that it gets torn down. Like, yep. Yep. as soon as you change roles or as soon as you move companies, so that that sort of stuff's quite gutting. Yep. But it's a good realization. Do you yep. know what I mean? Yep. But yeah, so that, one of the big drivers for me is what whatever I want to do in my career, I want to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first three quarters of my career to date, I've always thought that was like something tangible. Like mm-hmm. I want to build a project i want to hand over a building i want to you know be able to drive past that and say to my kids that's like i did that yeah um you know develop something a software or something like that and then in the the last quarter of my career i've realized that's all the shit that doesn't last and a legacy is actually the people well that's the thing right so without getting too existential like time erodes all Mm. And when you realize that there's really nothing that will ever, nothing will remain. Mm. And people say, oh, your reason for being is like leaving a mark or leaving an imprint. Even say some of the most famous people in history, they're just a name mm-hmm. and a few actions that were recorded in history. But that means nothing in reality to their experience through life. And when you're dead and gone, what does that value have? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm standing here wanting to be Martin Luther King or anything. Yeah. So it's not like that is what I'm talking about. But what I've realized that is at least longer lasting is the relationships that Absolutely. I have and the impact that I have on individuals yep. and the way that they think or the way that they act or the successes that they might have as a consequence of our relationships, which is really powerful to me. Well, that has the ripple effect, right? Because you were my boss and you made a mark on me and now I'm treating people the way that you treated me in a way that I find incredibly gratifying because I appreciate it when you did it to me. Mm. And I hope that one day they'll do the same thing. They'll be like, I had a, I had this boss that was really cool, the way he let, let me do my role and the way he managed me. Mm. And maybe they'll have a, a, a report one day. And that's your impact, right? Yeah. Cool, mate. Yeah, well, I mean, we can, we're gonna, we can talk about this for hours and hours. And as episodes go on, I think people will get further and further understanding of the way that we think and... Yeah. Beautiful way podcast. That we operate. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's a good start. Yeah, man. Well, it's been it's been good uh laying it all out. Yeah. Uh I think that's all we got for today. Cool. Thanks, Sweet. man. So in this uh next segment we're we're going into a a segment we like to call boss and toss. Um boss or toss. Boss or toss, my bad. Uh, so basically we're going to look at sort of life mantras, things that people like to say mm-hmm. and actually decide super quick whether we like them, whether they're a waste of time, whether there's some truth and, and reason behind living by them, you know. Uh, yeah, it's like being gaslit by society to live by some of these like yeah. fucking fortune cookie bullshit things that we're all taught. <laughs> yeah, so that's fortune cookies pretty much, yeah. yeah. So we're going to... Um, rapid fire through a few of these and, and sort of come up with a, whether we think they're, they're ones to resonate with or whether we should throw them in the bin. Mm-hmm. First one, believe you can and you're halfway there. Teddy Roosevelt. 
So I love this one and I say this to people all the time. I don't think there's anything particularly special about me. I just have this like unyielding self-belief mm-hmm. and, and therefore we'll just have a go. Yeah. But there, we, I mean, this is a cool one because we're definitely going to be doing a session on uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing that people are saying more and more and more these days. I don't fucking get it. I think you can have it and you can make the choice to kind of just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's a mentality thing. I understand why people have it. I understand that everyone thinks differently. But for me and the way I think, I've never given a shit about that. As you get older, the more you realize that no one actually knows what the fuck they're doing. So we're saying, we're saying we're boss. boss. Yeah. Boss nice. that one. All right, mate. Next one. All right. Um, this is one that you hear people say all the time. You should never go to bed angry. When you mm. have a fight with your partner. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, you see, I disagree. I think that's a toss. No, I like that one. For me, I'm like, I think when you are, if you have a fight with your partner and you're all riled up, there's nothing better than a good night's sleep to like let your cortisol levels like drop back down and have some time to think about it. You're a much calmer person than me. I'm a very emotional person. <laughs> and I think if you sleep on it and you wake up in the morning, you're just not as fired up about it. You can have a more adult conversation. Yeah. So like my partner would say no for sure because she can't sleep when she's upset and angry anyway. I can fucking fall asleep standing up. But um, so I get where you're coming from, but I think <clears throat> I think you need to learn to be able to say, okay, park it. Let's park it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Like if, if you think that this is like existential and it needs to be solved, otherwise the world will fucking fall apart. You're mm. not going to fall asleep. Mm. I think when you start practicing, like, okay, we're both in a tears. Like, let's fucking park this and come back to it. The, the only thing I would say is there's nothing better than starting the next day fresh. Fresh. Yeah. So like, you know, if you let it simmer. And the next day it starts again and it could ruin another day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it, it requires a bit of practice of being able to mentally park something mm. and let your subconscious kind of mull over it. So we'll agree to disagree maybe disagree, on that one. Yeah. 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 Okay, next one. When I hear someone sigh, life is hard, I'm always tempted to ask, compared to what? Nah, fuck off. That's shit ass. I, I like <laughs> that's toss for sure, because I think like that's the most Uncom- well, it depends what the what about thing, right? It's massively condescending, if I reckon, toss as well. Yeah, if, if if it's in the context of like what about as in to be smarmy and like dismissive about someone's experience, yeah, yeah. I think that everything is contextual and regardless, like the human experience, like millionaires are just as unhappy as poor people. Yeah, yeah. You know okay, I mean? I'll give you a better one. Uh, we pass through this world but once. <laughs> YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think it's true. Yeah. I don't think it's a oh, way to live your life. I don't think it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, that whole YOLO thing when it was just it, prolific, um, I think people have, I've seen some people just live their life completely, you know, by the seat of their pants and it's not really realistic. So like at certain stages in your life, if you're a teenager or like in your early twenties and you've got no responsibilities whatsoever, yeah, sweet. Yeah. But if you've got a family, if you've got commitments, it can't just be like, oh, yeah, YOLO. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just fucking you know, bungee jump and jump yeah. off a cliff or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want to leave your wife and kids or your partner. <laughs> that's the thing. You do only have one life and you have with that comes responsibility. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I So I reckon toss. toss. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ooh, actually, okay, here we go. Uh, life isn't a matter of milestones but of moments. Hmm. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Boss, yeah. I yeah. mean, I, it, it's sort of teaching you to 
sit in the moment and appreciate moments as opposed to like, you know, this is a sprint towards a milestone. Therapy session um, a few weeks ago, like moving here has been really challenging. And I've realized that like real happiness or the Mm. illusion of happiness is actually the accumulation of the small moments of the day. Yeah. It's really like you think about, you you hear so many athletes that like work towards winning an Olympic gold Mm. and then they get the gold and they're like, oh. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Next one. (laughs) This one, this one, uh, I've heard a bunch of times. Life is a song. Sing it. Life is a game. Play it. Life is a challenge. Meet it. Life is a dream. Realize it. Life is a sacrifice. Offer it. Life is love. Enjoy. (laughs) Uh, it's very, (laughs) what do we do with that? I think you could pick apart pieces of it yeah that's like the one you know dance like nobody's watching and you know i think like i don't know because it it speaks to like questioning whether you have any discontentment or not like yeah some people are happy just kind of bumble their way through and it's fine you know what i mean to me this is just really about trying to incite passion in what in everything you do which i think is a good message um but depends what you want to do but i think like you know most people have a passion uh, that that sort of drives what they do. So, like, you hear people, you hear, you know, Hollywood movies is constantly like, you know, Morgan Freeman was a car mechanic for 60 years, but yeah. he could have been a doctor. But he did that because his, his partner, his wife got pregnant and he needed to provide. Well, that's not that he, you know, he lost his passion. His passion was his wife and his kids. You know, like, to, to me, it's really about finding your passion. Mm. Uh, and I think if people in their careers or in their life lose their passion, that's a life inflection. You know, if you're really not passionate about the things that you're doing or the people you're with or, you know, then you've lost it. You need to kind of recenter and start again. Yeah. So I think it's a good message, but it's fucking cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it, I, I, and I think it's a bit com- like convoluted. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this one. I choose to make the rest of my life the best of my life. Like it's only going to get better. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a bit gaslighty as well, because mm-hmm. for me, what if, what if, what if right now is the best part of your life? Do you know what I mean? And yeah, you, and you missed out on it because you were looking forward to it being better. Yeah. It's like not really helping you live in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, my wife gets annoyed with me a bit about this too because, like, I'm very much an in-the-moment person. I'm an uh, in-the-future person. Yeah. I I don't plan enough probably. I don't strike a balance enough. I'm just like, what are we doing now? I'm I'm the opposite. I'm too in, too much in the future and I overlook, like, what is really good now and I've had to take stock in the fact that, like, right now is really awesome. Yeah. yeah. I could go to jail and then this could have been the best part of my life and I spent it looking forward to a time that doesn't exist. Fucking, why are you going to jail? <laughs> I'm saying that there, there could be like, you know, the war in Ukraine could escalate into nuclear warfare and, you know. Okay. What are you doing to go to jail? <laughs> Let's talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of, the way I live my life, I think toss, but what do you think? Uh, I think toss as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, happiness is not by chance, but by choice. That's kind of like the like it's the kind of as well. Well, it's the way this phrase is condescending, but it's kind of like the law of attraction, though. Yeah, which I think, uh, like my wife lives by that a lot more than I do, 
um, the way that you think is the way that, you know, the, the attraction that you'll have. So like if you're positive, you will attract positive things. And if you're, and I think like certain times in my life that has definitely played out. So instead of, we'll, we'll have, we'll have a discussion about how we met our partners and stuff at some point, but like, you know, um, instead of kind of chasing different things in my career, I've kind of just let them unfold, but I've very much been working on myself and that things have happened for me. Um, so I do think that this is true. I think it's a uh, bit it's simple. Fucking cheesy. I think it skips a bunch of steps, like saying happiness is a choice. I think there's a few steps to, yeah. to make that choice in that basically you can't just sit there and be like, I'm going to choose to be happy. But what you can do is you can sit there and, and change your perspective on like what you have. Yeah. And when you do that, you might be happier. It's not a matter of like, you can't tell someone who's fucking got cancer, like, well, you can be happy if you choose to be. It's like, fuck off. You know what I mean? I think yeah. it's a bit derivative. Like, that's yeah. all. Uh, okay. Cool. Oh, yeah. I, I see. Yeah. Okay. What about what about one from Gary V? Gary V. Who's Gary V? Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, yeah. Uh, Good bloke. Love your family, work super hard, live your passion. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty much what, how I live my life. Mm. That's, that's a boss. Yeah. Not really a mantra. Well, I, I don't know if you, you don't know Gary V. No, he's um, he, I think he, he started in uh, he owned like a bottle shop or something like that. His family owned a bottle shop. He's now um, uh, incredibly wealthy investor. Right, he was an early investor in like PayPal or mm. or whatever, um, maybe Facebook. Can't remember, but um, so he he's he's one of those guys. He's a little bit like us, like us in that he's like unapologetically himself yep. like he's like work fucking hard you fucking people sort of that kind of guy mm. like what are you what are you trying to get rich quick for you fucking idiot it's yep. not going to happen mm. it's got to be calculated you've got to work hard like if you're trying to get an overnight you know success through trading bitcoin fuck off sort of thing like he's that kind of guy which i've, I've got a lot of respect for yeah um, when you hear him say fuck enough times, you kind of go, oh, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you're kind of like cheapening your message here. <laughs> well, no, I just, a lot of the kind of um, sound bites for him are all like, swears. just super passionate, in your face, ag- aggressive, kind of like swearing and stuff. Which would go down a fucking which, treat here. Which, which is not necessarily yeah. like how he speaks all the time, but yeah. you know, he's massively passionate. And I think, yeah, love your family, work super hard, live your passion. Definitely. Um, yeah, I like that one. All right, I've got one from uh, Miss Dolly Parton. Nice. <laughs> if you don't like the road you're walking, start paving another one. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I think that's great. I love Dolly Parton, just <laughs> quietly. Yeah, working nine to five, you know. Yeah. Okay, man, I think that's probably yeah, I think that's it. all we've got time for today. Some good little nuggets of wisdom in there. Yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. To, to stay up to date with uh, the latest episodes, don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, feel free to leave us a comment as we love to hear from you. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Cheers, buddy. See you, mate. Bye. Bye. Bye.